0: When I was growing up, I, uh, I played soccer. I don't know if any of you played soccer growing up, or maybe you've been watching the Olympics. you watch the Olympic teams as they play. Uh, when I grew up playing soccer, uh, I moved around a good bit, mostly because I wasn't any good. So they kept rotating around, trying to find a place that maybe I could, uh, I could settle in. I think I settled in at goalie for a while. Um, but it was at a time when, uh, as a goalie, when, when someone would take a shot on goal and you had the ball, they gave you a certain amount of time to kick the ball away to get rid of the ball and move it down the field. Well, I remember one day in particular, it was a rainy, muddy day, and uh, an offensive guy came, comes running down and he, he takes a shot on goal, and, and, and one of the few times I actually stopped the ball. Uh, stopped it before it went in, but it was, it was covered in mud, and so the momentum of the ball coming towards me, uh, the, the messiness of the day brought with it more than just the ball. My face was covered in mud. My jersey was covered, and I remember for a time I couldn't see anything and I'm staggering there with the ball in my hand and, and all I could hear was the referee yelling at me to kick the ball kick the ball get rid of it you only have a certain amount of time to get rid of it and so I, I was trying to argue with him a little bit I can't see I'm trying to wipe mud away from my eyes uh, it's just it's totally obscuring I can't see you know where the field is and he just keeps yelling at me to get rid of the ball to get rid of the ball so finally I just uh, in, a, in a completely dazed and blind uh, state I just kicked the ball and I, I think I kicked uh, to the left, and I think it went over in the parking lot uh, where someone had to retrieve it. Um, our passage this afternoon uh, talks a lot about judgment and discernment. Um, and it deals with uh, this idea of, um, of first examining our own lives Taking the log out of our own, looking at our, our the sin in our lives before we go to others to begin to help them deal with the sin that's in their eye, in in their lives. Um, I think there are times though in our lives where we are so our, our vision our sight is so obscured by our own sin um, that we can't see anything else. Uh, that there there's sin in our lives and it obscures uh, our clarity. Uh, it, it it changes our perspective on people and we we're. We're blinded, in a sense, by our own sin, and it becomes, um, it becomes something that we begin to focus on others, and we see their sin very clearly, but we can't see ours. Uh, I couldn't see where I was supposed to kick the ball. My eyes were blinded by the mud and by the dirt. And so this, this afternoon, uh, generally speaking, is there a log in your own eye? Is there something, a sin in your life that is obscuring your vision, that is keeping you from seeing the depth of your sin? and keeping you from seeing Christ, and it is leading to a judgmental spirit where you're much more able to see and discern other people's sin than you are your own. Um, this passage, like I said, is one of those that is often quoted and most often misquoted. Uh, you will hear someone, uh, and perhaps you've heard this before, again, as you go to confront someone, uh, as you point someone else's uh, failings or faults at, and the, the phrase that people love to throw around nowadays is, don't judge me. Don't judge me. How dare you judge me? Uh, whether you're calling into question something minor or something major, don't judge me is is a phrase that people love to use nowadays. And they love to bring the Bible into it. Doesn't the Bible say not to judge? You can't say that to me. The Bible says don't judge. Who are you to judge me? But what does the Bible say? Does the Bible... Uh, all discernment or all confrontation the bible say that we're never to through discernment look at the lives of other people look at the world that we live in uh, and make some kind of judgments are good and evil to be treated as one and the same of course they're not there are too many passages in scripture that that not only encourage but tell us that we are to we are to use discernment we are to see the world From the perspective of Scripture, we are to examine the world, and we are to examine the lives of people, and particularly our own lives. So how do we read this passage? Because verse 6 very clearly uh, tells us that we are to discern. We are to make judgments. Um, So if this passage that seems to start by saying, judge not, if it goes on in verse 6 and says, judge How are we to take that? What principles are we to take away from this? Verses one and two says, "Judge not, lest you be judged," um, and then have the same standard used on you. Uh, The context that Christ is using here again, perhaps, is uh, is seeing the Pharisees, the the Pharisees' lives, the Pharisees' response, their their hypocritical judgmentalism of other people. Um, They use uh, a standard of perfection to judge others. They look at themselves and lift themselves up as the standard and say, Look at my life, how perfect I do things, and now I'm going to judge you because you don't keep that same standard. Uh, the standard being perfection, did they keep the law perfectly in word and deed and thought? And, and no, they didn't. So, this passage is warning against hypocrisy judge not lest you be judged, judge not lest you be judged in the same standard used against you. If you judge with a hypocritical attitude, ...with, a, with a, an exterior standard of just keeping uh, the law on the outside... ...then that same standard will be used to judge you as well. Christ is warning that we as believers should not uh, judge others as their judge... As, ...as the one who finally makes the decision, are they going to heaven or are they going to hell. Uh, we're not to judge with a harsh or critical spirit... ...because remembering we too as believers are under the same condemnation... ...or were under the same condemnation. We have received grace and mercy... And this grace and mercy is to flow out of everything that we do. So we're we're cautioned, we're warned to to not judge with a harsh or critical spirit. Um, We have received grace and we're to give grace. The gospel should produce in us a hatred of sin, but a love for sinners. We should be able to discern and see the sin in the world and see the sin in other people's lives, but it should bring us to a place of prayer for them seeking for them to know Jesus Christ, that they might be freed from this sin. We're not to have a quick judgment on people's lives. It should create in us a patient, compassionate, long-suffering for their weaknesses. Verse 1 and 2 also remind us that we are not the final arbiter of people's eternal states. We cannot judge someone truly as to where they will spend eternity. We cannot set ourselves up as the judge. Perhaps you've thought this, you've looked at someone's life and said, oh, I know they're not a believer. There's no way they could be in heaven. Scripture makes it clear that there will be those in heaven whom are a surprise to us, and there will be others who we think should be there but will not. We cannot judge the hearts. We cannot see the hearts completely. Yes, we're told to discern, to see the actions that might give us an indication of where they are with the Lord, but we are not the final arbiters of heaven and hell. So it's in this passage we continue to look, and it's not a matter of whether or not to make judges judgment on good and evil, or to never use discernment, but it's a matter of what kind of judgments and what is our, our motivation. Christ is very, uh, very keen and clear in the Sermon on the Mount to deal with the motivation of the heart. What motivates us uh, to to discern? to judge, to look around us at the activities of other people. We are to make certain kinds of judgments, but Christ wants to get to our hearts. What motivates these judgments? And how are we to make proper judgments? I think the answer lies in his illustration that he uses in verses 3 through 5. This rather ludicrous idea of seeing a man walking around with a plank sticking out of his head. Something that would be humorous, but also shocking to think about. Seeing someone walking around having a plank in their eye. And he says that uh, how can you, who, has a, who have a plank in your eye, judge a speck, something tiny, a mote, something tiny, tiny in your eye. How can you point that in someone else when you've got something large and glaring in your own life? Again, perhaps dealing with the Pharisees who were very quick to judge, very click, quick to point out. To set themselves up as a standard and say, if your life doesn't look like ours, then you are a deep, horrible sinner. We're to examine our own lives and motive, motives and our behavior before we go to another brother. This will help give us an attitude of, of being, let me put it this way. Have you ever thought of yourself as one beggar going to another beggar, telling them where to get bread? The idea that we go to someone as if we've got it all worked out, that our lives are are, are prim and pristine and proper, to tell someone, you need to to change your life. You need to correct what's going on in your life. Instead of an attitude of humility of going, look, I don't have it all together. My life is a wreck. I need Christ Jesus in my life. Let me tell you where to find this one who can forgive your sins. I'm a beggar, just like you. Let me tell you where you can go to find nourishment, to find forgiveness. Christ deals with this kind of motivation, this attitude. And then as we deal with our own sin in our lives, as we've confronted in our own lives, if we are ruthless uh, to see it uh, driven out, and replaced by holiness, then we can go to our brothers and sisters that we see in sin uh, and helping them find repentance. I wonder at times what... Um, what is in our hearts when we are so harsh and so critical towards other people? Maybe there's a particular sin that you see in others that just drives you crazy, that you have no tolerance for, you have no patience for. And I wonder sometimes if we are hardest on others, the, the sin in other people, perhaps because we struggle deep down with some sin that is similar or related, maybe not even aware that we do. Perhaps the The hardness that comes out is a subconscious desire to cover over our own sins. Maybe not, but maybe it is. Maybe an attempt to deflect attention from our own hidden sins. Uh, Maybe there's, again, a sin that you look at in someone else and you're hard on it. You're hard on that person. But as you examine your own life, you realize that that same sin comes out in a particular way in your own life. I I can remember at one point uh, there was a student who... We just rubbed each other wrong. We just, we just didn't get along. Uh, he didn't want to be around me, and I didn't want to be around him. And, and, I, and I thought he was arrogant. I thought he was uh, prideful. Uh, and I remember a, a brother, a friend of mine, coming to me, and he, just, he saw and he noticed the, the tension that was between us. And he said, I just can't stand to be around him. He's just so arrogant. He's so prideful. And I just remember as we talked, um, I came to realize, as he lovingly and compassionately and kindly pointed out, that he sees some of those same traits in me. And I was angry at first, but I'm not like that. I'm not prideful and boastful. I don't speak of my own accomplishments. I don't tell everybody how great I am. And while that may have been true, I began to realize and hear that that the heart of what this guy struggled with was my heart as well. And that while his arrogance and pride manifested itself in a different way, Verbally, hourly, mine was was subtle and hidden, but just as clear to my friend who knew us both. And that was a strong indictment that, that the very sin that I condemned in him that kept me from reaching out to him was in my heart as well. Is there a sin in your life today that you are uh, ruthless in seeing rooted out in other people's lives that perhaps the Lord is saying? You need to first look at the log that is in your own eye before you go after the speck in your brother or sister's eye. Christ is talking about self-righteousness here, avoiding self-righteousness. Often our sin is hidden and deep, and it's so much easier to see the sin in other people's lives because it's before us. And we're often oblivious to ours. We like to perhaps say, Um, As the Pharisee said in Luke 18, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Perhaps it's easy to say, thank you, God, for the, the fact that I don't struggle with the sin that this person does. But the tax collector said this, standing far off, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which category do we more often fall into? The, the category of the Pharisee, the self-righteous Pharisee that, that overlooks and, and, and obscures our own sin, or the, the category of the tax collector who sees his sin and cries out for mercy to God? Jim Boyce, who was a pastor at 10th Perez for a long while, Said this, he said, if the devil is able to destroy a Christian's witness by making him apathetic, he will try to do it. Uh, excuse me. If the devil is not able to destroy a Christian's witness by making him apathetic, he will try to do it by making him a fanatic. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ talks about failures which will render a Christ a Christian apathetic in regard to Christian service. Talked earlier about love of money and anxiety; these can have a desensitizing effect in his witness. For if a Christian has his mind centered on things, either either to accumulate them or to worry over them, he will not see God, and hence he will not serve him. Jesus goes on to show that there is also a type of zeal that can ruin a believer's witness. This is the zeal for judging others. It will turn him into a sharp and unjust critic of his Christian brothers. Has your passion and zeal for the Lord been replaced by a self-righteous Love of the law and a love of seeing others uh, brought into judgment. I think there are times as Christians where we can know God's word and we can use it as a a weapon uh, instead of a tool uh, to begin to bring repentance in our own heart and see others (coughs) repent as well. So, what is the proper motivation as we discern, as we look at our brothers and sisters, as we look around us and see people who are in sin? Proper motivation for confronting sin in the lives of others ought to be because we love them and we long to see them freed from this sin. Do we hate sin this afternoon? Do we truly hate sin? So much so that we are relentlessly focusing on it in our lives and asking the Holy Spirit to remove it from us, to root it out. Are we far more aggressive about uh, about relentlessly having sin rooted in our lives or are we far more Able to point out the sin in the lives of others? Do we see, as Paul said, ourselves as the chief of sinners, or are we much more able to point to others and say, well, that person certainly is a greater sinner than I? So our motivation has to be changed. Why are we pointing out sin? Why are we using distric- uh, discretion? Are we first asking the Lord, Lord, show me the log that is in my eye? Show me the sin that so easily entangles my life, that so easily draws me away. And as we see the sin in our lives, we begin to realize we are in great need of the gospel. We are in great need of forgiveness and cleansing. And perhaps then as we look around at others, it doesn't necessarily diminish their sin, but it puts it in perspective that we are one beggar showing another beggar where to go to find bread. We are one person in need of forgiveness taking another And showing them where to find forgiveness. Is there a beam of sin in your life today that is blocking the flow of God's love into your life? Is there a sin that is so obvious to others, perhaps so large, that it's keeping the flow of God's in your life? Perhaps today we need to confess anew and ask the Lord for clarity, to clear our eyes away to remove the debris, to remove the mud, so that we can truly examine our own hearts. And so while so many people use this passage to say, oh, we shouldn't judge, we should never confront, we can't discern and say, this is good, this is bad, this is evil, this is right. The Bible doesn't say that. It's bringing us down to the place where we are to use discernment. We are to make judgments in this world. But first, he starts with a warning and he starts with dealing with our hearts and our motivations so that when we do make the discernment and make the judgments, we're doing it from a right perspective. So how do we confront? How do we use proper spiritual discernment without hypocrisy? And again, it has to be through prayer that the Lord would clear our vision of our own sin. Lord, remove the log. Then we need to pray for a clear vision in the eyes of the other person. Maybe there's a person you're thinking of right now whose life is, is in bondage to sin. A believer that you know, and and there's something they're doing, there's an activity they're engaged in. Maybe they see it, maybe they don't. That you, you're you convicted and you're overwhelmed with compassion. You want to go to them. You don't want to see them suffer the consequences or lose fellowship with the Lord. And so you have it on your heart that you need to go to them. First, pray in your own hearts that the Lord would would show you, do you suffer from that same sin, from that same ailment? And what other areas of sin does the Lord need to, to churn up and deal with in your own life? And then pray for a clarity of vision in the person that you're going to. Pray for compassion and the right words and the right time. And pray that this person's heart would be softened, that they would be open uh, to hearing these words. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a tra- any transition, excuse me, any one who is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness but keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted a spirit of gentleness this word restore in the greek is referring to a physician setting a bone a physician who is using great tenderness and and, and gentleness to to set a bone that has been broken This same word that is used here is that's the kind of attitude we should go with with that of a a doctor who seeks to to help and heal and correct, but one that does so with gentleness, a a surgeon with a scalpel and not with a meat cleaver. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Is our motivation as we point out this sin because we long for them to grow up into him The head who is Christ Jesus. Because we long for them to know Jesus. And we know sin is a barrier that keeps us. And so we are willing to speak the truth, but in love. Love for that person and love for Christ. Why do we speak this truth when we go? We have to examine our motives. Do we do it because to show that we're right and they're wrong? Is it because we want to show ourselves superior as more righteous as more religious, or is it truly to see this person grow in Christ-likeness? And we're giving one, given wonderful examples in Scripture of how Christ confronted. Christ is the great physician. He is that great surgeon, that great healer. And he confronted to see people restored. He always went through their sin to show them their need. He confronted himself, he confronted others, but he himself was without sin. And he confronted out of love. John 4 gives us that clear picture of how he confronted the woman at the well. There was not a condemning or judgmental or harsh spirit in Christ. He asked this woman if she would give him a cup of water. And in doing so, he, he opened up and he revealed her sin. That she was indeed living with a man that was not her own husband. But he didn't begin there. He didn't condemn her as a horrible sinner, as an adulteress. He began with compassion. He began with love. But he didn't avoid the issue. He didn't avoid her sin. He dealt with her sin in love. He wanted her to be reconciled to God the Father. He did so with gentleness and kindness, but he did so boldly. We see another example in 2 Samuel where Nathan goes to David. And it is a little more pointed When David is confronted uh, by Nathan over his sin with Bathsheba, these four words, you are that man. When Nathan points out that he is the man who stole from another, stole his wife, had a child out of wedlock, was guilty of murder. Nathan was a bit more forceful, but it was done out of love. Nathan loved David. He loved his king. He loved his friend. And he longed to see him free from this sin that he was in. Verse 6 takes us uh, into some strange language here. But verse 6 is about using discernment, but it is about making judgments uh, in love. Verse 6 says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack. There are times when we have to make judgments through discernment. What is this pearl that uh, Christ is talking about? It's the gospel message. The gospel message is this precious thing. And Christ is saying here there are times when we should not continue with that gospel message. Who are these dogs that he's talking about? Is he talking about all unbelievers? No. Scripture is clear that Christ went to the Gentiles, went to unbelievers. Uh, we are to continue to share the good news, to spread it widely. But Christ is giving particular instances here where there may be times where where, because of the response of those that we're going to, we no longer continue to pursue them. There are some who have so uh, defiled the name of Christ, so rejected the gospel message that uh, Jesus tells the disciples that, you were to shake the dust off your feet and leave that town. Continue to pray for those people. If there are people that you've shared with and they continue to reject it, if there are people who are openly hostile to the good news of Jesus Christ, perhaps we need to pull back a bit and begin to pray or continue to pray for that person. Matthew 15, 14 speaks of the Pharisees. Christ said, leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leaves a blind man, both will fall into a pit. The disciples were told to, to no longer put the pearl of the good news of Christ before these dogs, these who had rejected it so openly, so clearly. Second John 10, John talks about not even welcoming into your home someone who distorts the gospel. This is a difficult issue. It, it requires great discernment. We don't just simply ignore them and turn our backs on them. We continue to pray for them, but there may be times where someone you've gone to has so rejected the gospel that you need to turn to someone else. Galatians 1.9, if anyone who is preaching the gospel, this pearl that is not the gospel, he is to be eternally condemned. This is the dog that is being talked about here, one who has perverted the gospel, who's changed it, who is not just uh, not wanting to hear the gospel, but actively seeking to change it and pervert the gospel. There are times when we must encourage believers uh, to, uh, we must look at their lives and help them to make a discernment, a judgment in their own lives. The Lord's table, as we come to it, uh, we are, the scripture says that we should examine our own, our own hearts. We should judge ourselves, examine our hearts. If there's something something in our lives that uh, that is sin that we've not confessed, that we're to restrain, to pull back from the table, there may be those as we look into their lives and we see open and blatant sin, we may need to encourage them and go to them and say, maybe you need to refrain from going to the table. Deal with your sin first. There's a judgment that's being made there, but it's a judgment of, of love because the scripture is clear that we don't want to drink and eat condemnation on ourselves. We need to be helping one another. And the session and, and pastors do that with individuals as we look and we see perhaps something in, in someone's life that needs to be confessed and dealt with, and we encourage them to hold back from the table. Hearing of this great pearl today, do you guard it? Do you hold it? Do you value it? Do you treat Christ's message of life and hope and forgiveness as something of great value? Is it something that is near and dear and personal to you this very day? Christ dealt with a blind man, multiple blind men, but this blind man who had received his sight back from the Lord was now the perfect candidate to go and tell others where they could go to receive a sight, to to be cured of their blindness. It would have been utter folly for the blind man, before receiving his sight back, to try and go tell others how to get their sight back, and perhaps there are times when this speaks to us. We're trying to go and tell everyone else how to deal with the sin in their lives before we first allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and deal with us. We're blinded by our own sin. That log that has grown and grown has so obscured our vision that it warps and twists how we view other people and how we view ourselves. We're the blind one. We need to have that dealt with before we go to others in compassion and love. I hope today that you see this pearl of great price. hope today that Christ Jesus has first and foremost given you sight to see your need for a Savior. And that daily, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, through prayer, you are relentless in asking Christ to, to take away the sin in your life. And then as He does that, that He would give you a compassion and a love for those who are lost around you and a compassion and love for those who are fellow believers who may be caught in sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are in no position to judge others because of the sin in our lives. We need to have you come in and ruthlessly weed out and remove the sin that so easily entangles us. Forgive us for being judgmental. Forgive us for being self-righteous. Forgive us for more quickly and more often being ready to point out the sin in someone else's lives than we are in our own. Lord, deal with us this day. Deal with our hearts, our sin. Remove the log, the plank that is in our eyes. And then as you do that, as you forgive us, as you weed out that sin, give us a compassion and love for those around us. Help us to see the the, the mode in their eye because we've first seen the log in our own. Help us to see their need for for forgiveness and cleansing because we first have received that through Jesus Christ. Father, give us a, a right perspective, a right motive, a right love for those around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.